Well, good morning, church. I wanted to come back into our auditorium. One day you'll be here too. And the place we have saved for you. And we have some extra room because I have a feeling that others are going to need what we will have once we're back in the room. We gave you a couple of break, a week break there for Palm Sunday and Easter so that we could celebrate even while social distancing, even while there was fear in the streets, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. You have made me proud when I see what you have done in this interim and what you continue to do, how you're looking out after each other, how you are sharing what you have, how you are posting encouragement, not fear. All of these things have just made me love Fourth Avenue and the spirit of God that flows here more than ever before. Well done. We're gonna go back to Ecclesiastes now. You might think, oh, what a downer, resurrection than Ecclesiastes, and you would have a fair point. But it is important for us to understand who we are, where we are, and why we are. And that was our job when we announced it at the very beginning of 2020. We'll finish with Ecclesiastes when we finish, then we'll go to Job, and then we go to Revelation. And in those three books, we hope to figure out who we are, where we are, and why we are. Ecclesiastes 7, as we told you a couple of weeks ago, this chapter is rather like a miniature book of Proverbs um, in that it doesn't quite flow. One verse may not connect to the verse ahead of it or behind it. It might. And so looking for those links, that's a big job here. And there's something else we have to do. We have to recognize a reality. The writer of this book was living in a culture 930 years or so before the birth of Christ. You can't even get your head around that kind of length of time. This is a different people, a different mind um, mindset, a, a different attitude, a different culture, a different way to look at men, women, life, death, royalty, normality. Their normal would terrify us. And our normal got disrupted, and we're wondering what our new normal is. So being aware of all of this, let's just try to understand the wisdom here and try to understand what may belong back there. All right, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. It's rather like that uh, old children's song we used to sing in Bible school. I don't know that they do anymore, but it would say things like, be careful little hands what you do, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear. What you are hearing, is this what you need to hear? Or is this what you want to hear? It's, it's an uncomfortable start in an uncomfortable book. But this is also a New Testament concept. I'm going to read actually a little bit longer passage than we normally would at one go, and it's in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 8 through 7. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now let's go right back to Ecclesiastes 7, 5 and 6. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Put these two together and what do you have? Who you listen to is critically important. How you listen with your ears tuned, ready to sort wisdom from chaff, even if you're receiving this wisdom, or wisdom so-called, from your closest friend and ally, some sorting might need to be done. We will never learn, we will never grow until we are willing to sit back and examine the voices in our inner circle, and that we're willing to open our ears and we even seek it out, information from outside our inner circle information from sources that we normally would not like, uh, even that we have actively disagreed with in the past. It doesn't mean they're wrong this time. So we listen and we sort it out. Royal families have a history of horrific tragedy if they surround themselves with yes men. And the same with governments, the same with people that, um, that rule little nations or that are mayors over little towns. If you surround yourself by people that are always going, you are the greatest, you're the best person ever, you're the smartest person, whatever you want to do, oh Lord, that is wonderful. Tragedy always results. The teacher is not asking us to love being rebuked, but rather, if a wise person is rebuking us, pay attention. Maybe it's justified, maybe it isn't. But listen, give it some thought. That be careful little ears, what you hear is very important because our time is limited. Some periods of time, like self-quarantine, can feel like they've lasted forever. I, I absolutely understand this. If you are in pain, <clears throat> let's say you have a migraine, a day can last forever. I get that. But the fact is our time is very limited and so we need to be asking ourselves repeatedly to whom are we listening there is a modality of psychology that, that had a huge burst of popularity in the 70s and by the way still out there and still has great validity to much of what it teaches it was called transactional analysis no system is perfect it had its flaws but one of the very valuable questions it asked people was, who are you listening to? Now, the people would then respond with names about this news source or about this book, or, but they would narrow it down. No, we wanna know what the voice in your head is saying to you. And then we wanna ask you a very important question. Who does that voice sound like? And sometimes it might've sounded like an abusive aunt it might have sounded like a fawning friend. It might have sounded like a critical father. Finding the source was desperately important. 
It's the same with us. In our heads, if we are filled with fear, then that didn't come from Jesus. That didn't come from God. Because God's spirit cast out fear. We need to figure out who are we listening to. As James says, discern the spirits. Make sure you're listening to the right ones. Well, that's a full-time job. So let's go down a couple more verses. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 7 through 9, and see what he has to say about this. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Wow. There's a lot here. I'm, I'm going to compress it and say the teacher is very interested in you staying in the game. The teacher wants you engaged with your life. He wants you active in your life. Don't become like a second grader. Apologies to second graders who are brilliant out there, by the way. Uh, but a second grader, perhaps bored in the outfield of a baseball game, distracted by a, a gum wrapper, a shiny thing that's blowing past them and he misses the fly ball. When we start chasing butterflies instead of fly balls, we've lost the plot. You know, the train of thought has pulled out and left us standing at the station, as we sometimes say back home. There are distractions out there, and we need to be very aware of them. Just like we would want to be aware if a neighbor said, you know, we saw a snake out in your backyard. We thought it might be a poisonous one. That's something I'd want to be aware of. Does it mean I'm going to live in terror? No, but it means if I'm going back outside, I'll keep my eyes open. I will be open to the possibility, right? What are the distractions? Well, money is mentioned. Extortion turns wise people into fools. I think of DeLorean sometimes, and some of you who are younger don't really get this, except if you've seen some of the old Back to the Future movies. The DeLorean should have been an incredible success, but the engineers didn't get a couple of things right, and John DeLorean was having really serious issues with funding, and the next thing you know, he is caught. He is caught accepting bribes, he is caught um, selling the wrong thing, you can look it up all on your own, but what should have been a groundbreaking new idea ended up in embarrassment and failure and bankruptcy. How many times can we say that about people? How many times can we say things were looking so well and then they took a dollar that they didn't need to take? Yeah, money, impatience is mentioned in these verses. Oh, how hard that is. And anger. The second grader chasing the gum wrapper or butterflies rather than fly balls is no different from any of the rest of us. We tend to chase after shiny, beautiful things, glittering things, and God knows this. And therefore, God warns us to, time and time again to listen to what we're listening to. Figure out what are we hearing some of you have already reached out to me uh, just after a week or so of the quarantine saying, you know, I've had to stop listening to news. And my response has always been, good. Now, no offense to the news people. The local news people in particular probably have stuff we might need to know. You know, where to go for this supply, what the rules are about Tennessee parks or, or any of that sort of thing. 
But the 24-7 cycle of churning out fear and alarm, sometimes you need to pull back. I am not in favor of staying tuned out of world and national events. I think we really do need to know about them. But I don't think we need to be focused 24-7. We have to be careful. Who are we listening to and why are they saying what they're saying? Sometimes people say what they say because of party loyalty or because somebody is paying them or because they want you to keep your eyeballs on that screen so that they can run some commercials past you. Just find out why. And once you know why, you can still listen, but you have a filter that you can listen to the information through. When God comes at you, he's not going to come at you shouting and screaming. I hear preachers like that sometimes on YouTube or somebody will send me a video and say, do you know this guy? And they're yelling and they're screaming. Please listen to 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. The Lord said, this is to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Ooh, that sounds good. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a whisper, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's one of my favorite passages. It really is. Because let's face it, we, we love drama and we love the big event. And therefore, you know, the God's about to come. He's about to show up and you have all the big wind and you have earthquake and you have fire. That's exactly what you would expect, and you'd be wrong. God doesn't walk that way among us. Oh, he's powerful enough to dissolve the universe with a thought. But when he deals with us, he deals gently. He moves very softly. That's an amazing fact of the universe, given to us many times in Scripture, but we miss it because our human, well, we just want the yelly, shouty things. Truth doesn't need to shout. Truth and wisdom are not advanced by anger. I want to say that again. Truth and wisdom are not advanced by anger, nor are they advanced by fear. Truth moves at its own pace, and it will take patience to stick with truth, to ride out the time and the labor necessary for the search for wisdom. But be careful, because there are lies out there. The great English writer Jonathan Swift, which if you know them, him at all, you probably know him from Gulliver's Travels. But he wrote, um, even Gulliver's Travels, was a political statement of the day. He wrote this phrase, falsehood flies and truth comes limping after. You may not have heard that phrase, but you've heard another one, which is often attributed to Mark Twain, but he, he didn't make it up. It says, a lie travels halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Do you know why that's true? 
right back to the earthquake, the fire, and the wind. Our, our minds are wired by God to pay attention to the dangerous, to the crisis, the critical, the drama-filled moment. Why? Because for most of our life, most of our existence, rather, on the planet as humans, we've had to struggle to eat. We've had to struggle to make a safe place for our family. We've had many dangers outside, everything from wild animals and beasts to weather, and had we had to figure out shelter. So our minds have been crafted to love stories of danger, drama, and overcoming, survival. Those are the stories we shared at the campfires back oh, millennia ago that allowed us to survive, as every one of your ancestors did, up to this present day. Because of that, our brains look for the frightening, the scary. And sometimes trying to process the truth and get the truth out of the scary, well, it, it's pretty much going to take you all of your life. Even on Twitter, lies, absolute lies, are retweeted thousands and thousands of times. And then when a newspaper is shown up and it's, it's not true, they'll issue a, a little tepid correction, which is retweeted maybe a hundred times. The lies are still out there. It's terrifying, but true. Anger is not our response to this, because anger does not move God's work forward unless we are moving with God in that moment and doing it God's way. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 tells us that our days are limited, the time is limited, but we, we need to strike now. Don't let the anger go down on your wrath. I've had, I've had people tell me before that that's where they get the idea that uh, married couples should not go to sleep angry. You know, sometimes it's probably a pretty good idea. Go to your neutral corners, sleep it off, start the next day anew. Let's let the emotion drop down. Let's work on this a different way. But in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. That means if there is anger and you, you really examine the anger, it is justified. You might want to call it righteous anger, but that's a really hard sell. Then you are to make an action. For example, if I find that uh, someone in, uh, in my, my neighborhood subdivision, let's say, was uh, trying to uh, lure little children into a van, right? Let's just do the drama thing, right? I, would I become angry? I got to tell you, actually, no. Uh, I would become active because anger is not really going to help me. I'll become more active. Let's search for the van. Let's call the police and ask for a greater presence in our neighborhood. Let's do a community meeting where we ask our children to be safe and to know about stranger danger. Um, we'll, we'll do all of that. Now, to be honest, and I, I need to be honest, if I were to see a guy trying to lure a child into a van or a car or whatever, I would be angry. But I wouldn't stand on the sidewalk going, well, I am just miffed about this. I am ever so bothered. No. Anger is an energy which is to move you forward. It is to make you take action. Now, you know, I, I'm not saying that I'll be able to go over there and you know, wrestle and do all the great, no, but I might be able to make the phone call, take a picture of license plate to get the idea. Anger is only valuable if it moves. 
and it moves with God who shows up with a gentle whisper. Remember this, not the earthquake and the fire and the such that we often like to turn that into. And now we're about to get really hit. Ecclesiastes 7, 10 through 12. Do not say, where were the, why, why were the old days better than these? It's not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Ooh. All right, everybody in the room, whatever room you're watching this on, is busted. Because when have we not said, oh, I miss the old days. For some of you, that might just be a few months ago. Others of us, it's a bit longer. Fair enough. But remember, the good old days weren't good for everybody. There was racial separation and injustice that was accepted as the norm. That wasn't good. Women did not have the vote. Their voices were not, um, were not heeded or respected. Back in the late 1800s, women weren't able to go become doctors in Scotland, and a group of them finally sued and were allowed into the Edinburgh College of Medicine. They, they, they outdid the men in every way, but were not allowed to graduate because they were women. Do you want the good old days? I, I don't want the good old days of where you lay there dying with a medicine that is today cheap. You can take the medicine, you have a good day. I like these days. And we're warned, don't go back to that good old day stuff because there's stuff there that you don't like. You know, I, I would love to have an, a nice old classic 57 Chevy or the like, but I gotta tell you right now, I don't want it to be my daily driver. Those things floated, they, they were loose suspension. And, uh, air conditioning, what's that? You roll down windows. I, I understand. I like the past, but I don't live there. I'll say that again. I like the past, but I don't live there. You cannot drive forward while staring at the rear view mirror. And wisdom will shelter you, money will not. Cormac McCarthy, the amazing writer, uh, one of his books is called The Road. It's a very short book, but it's one that will, that will resonate and keep you up. Years later, you'll wake and think about it. It's, uh, the, the world has undergone an apocalypse of some sort. It is never detailed or even hinted at. A man is there with his young child, trying to get just through the, each day as it comes. They come upon a bunker, and this bunker evidently was supplied by a prepper of some sort because it has food. And so they put food in a grocery cart that they've been wheeling around with them. But then they open a box, and in the box are all of these gold coins, solid gold, Krugerrands, what the commercials tell you, you need to buy right now to be secure. And in the book, he just closes the box and puts it back. Because in that world, gold means nothing. Money means nothing. These are useless. Food, clothing, that means everything. Money does not shelter us. And we should see that now in our current financial crisis. It really is a crisis. We need to be praying that God moves quicker and very thoroughly in this. 
we got to be the hands and feet of God as well in all of that. The teacher's concerned about what we're going to leave behind, but money is not the, what he's thinking of. He's thinking of wisdom. As the great philosophers Crosby, Stills, and Nash taught us, teach your children well. And they, in return, if you know the song, teach your parents well. Let's have a very quick look, because uh, we're running out of time. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 through 18. Who can straighten what he's made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness. The wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked. And don't be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Oh my goodness. Wow. Just, just wow. First of all, deep breath. We are creatures. We are not the creator. On TV, the bad guy is all bad. Good guy, all good. There are some cop shows on TV where the good guys are all good even when they're robbing other people of their constitutional rights and torturing them and shooting madly in the streets and who knows where those bullets are going, but it's okay, they're the good guy. And this is the bad guy. That's not reality. None of us are perfectly righteous. None of us are perfectly wicked. We are humans. God does what God does. And there are going to be times where we see righteous people die and wicked people prosper. But that's not forever. God is going to do what God is going to do. Our job is to be faithful during the journey. So how do we do that? Well, shockingly, he says, well, don't try too hard. I, um, I look at some religious orders, some religious um, tribes, let's say, and the rules they put on themselves. They're not allowed to enjoy this. They're not allowed to enjoy that. Paul warns about that. He says, there are all kinds of rules out there. Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't handle that. And he says, they all look like righteousness, but they are not. God didn't put us in a garden and then say, don't like pretty things and don't like things that taste good. Don't be over-righteous. I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I really just don't. If you are so religious, you cannot enjoy your life, you are too religious. If you are so religious, you can't have hobbies because you feel guilty enjoying yourself and doing something completely non-advancing, you're too religious. You should be able to delight whenever you do chase the butterflies instead of the, the, the foul balls or the, the, the fly balls. You should be able to rejoice and laugh at life. You should be able to be the creature that God made. We're not going to be real good. We're not going to be real bad. We're just going to be children that are trying. We're just, we're just trying. Mankind can be evil. There can be dark, dark times out there. 
Oh my goodness, you know, we, we could talk about the, the reign of terror of Stalin or Pol Pot, or we can talk about the slow reign of terror of cancer in a family. But remember this, God owns the calendar. The politicians and the scientists might be working real hard together or fighting each other. I, I'm not in those rooms and don't want to be. Trying to figure out, all right, what's the path to normalcy? What day do we hit normalcy? What's the new normal? Let them do that. And I appreciate their efforts. But God owns the calendar. He does what he does. He controls the movement of the universe. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I love verses 16 through 18, that pendulum. People, culture, and governments, facts, beliefs, swing like pendulums back and forth. Don't do that. God is not impressed by you being overly righteous. Think Pharisees, for example, legalist lawmakers. He knows you're a sinner. But don't go nuts about that either. Get better. Try. You can do it. He believes in you. Yeah. I can tell you I believe in you, and I do, that I support you, and I do. But what good is that? He believes in you. He supports you. And he's not mad that you're not really good yet. He's got time to work with you. Hold on to God while acknowledging our own reality that we are frail people who are not in charge of much on this planet but we are in charge to how we react to what happens to us on this planet. There are saved people who sometimes fail. There are saved people who have deep fault lines in their hearts and lives. I am one of those people. I've often talked to God about, it would have been a lot easier for me to do the work I think I've been called to do if you would have healed these broken areas, but for some reason he never would. And I, when I look in a rearview mirror, I can see reasons, but not all of them. So I get my ears off, uh, my eyes off the rearview mirror, and look forward and just say, "All right, God, let's go." That last line: "Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes." If you can be defined by a ticked box, this is your political party, this is your race, this is your gender, this is your age. And just go all the way through. And some of these are immutable. I get that. I'm, I'm 63. I cannot identify as a 24-year-old. No. Some of these are the passage of time realities. But if they can, you are conservative, you are liberal, you are libertarian, you are uh, you're anti-this, you are pro-that, you might be doing life wrong because the universe is complex. And so are you. Allow room in your life, in your spirit, for nuance, change, growth, consolidation, and prepare to annoy the world when it comes at you and wants to put you in their box. We're not box people. We are the children of God. And if he's not going in a box, we're not either. God bless you this week. I look forward to seeing you when we can all gather again. But in the meantime, Keep staying in touch. You're doing a lovely job. And if you feel like you've been overlooked on that staying in touch thing, you're the very person I want to hear from because we don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. Trust him. We're going to be okay.